Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to MBR, or as we like to call it around here, Nothing But Rants, the show where I find topics that I'm oddly passionate about, and I pontificate upon them. These are not hot takes, but rather takes that I'm hot about. In all of my years of doing this, I didn't think I was going to have to do this, what we're about to do, but I think we're going to have to do it because it needs to be done based off what I've been watching on social media with regards to college football nowadays. Um, So let's do it. Let's define what a hater is because there's been a lot of talks about hater this, hater that. What's a hater? So let's define a hater. In my opinion, a hater is someone that goes out of their way to talk down upon others, and this is the key part with the intention to negatively impact their image, okay? Notice what I didn't say. Notice what I didn't say in that definition. Again, a hater is someone that goes out of their way to talk down upon others with the intention to negatively impact their image. What did I not say? Just because I don't like someone or something, that does not mean I'm a hater. Just because I don't like you doesn't mean I hate you, okay? In order for me to truly be a hater, Okay, in order for me to truly be out here being known and quantified as someone who hates you, okay, I got to have some intention with my dislike, okay? I got to have some type of point or some type of angle with my disdain that I carry for you. That is a hater, okay? The Colorado Buffaloes do have some haters out here. Don't get me wrong. Do not get me wrong. I think there are some people in this world salivating on Saturday because they wanted to see Deion Sanders or some people call him Prime. They wanted to see Coach Prime humiliated. That's what they wanted to see. And there were some haters out there Saturday who wanted to see CU or wanted to see him lose because they wanted to see him, quote, shut up or wanted to see him do have, quote, a lesson taught to him, right? And uh, I think some, or I think that says more about uh, what people think about Dion or their feelings towards Dion than anything else. And, and the reality is, Dion's been talking this talk for decades. Like, this is who he has been. And there have been people who have had disdain for Dion way before he was a coach. They hated him as a player just because he did this and, and he does this. And this is who he is. And, and those people, okay, the people who have outward disdain for Dion Sanders. Those people are haters, and you can see it. You can smell it. They've been waiting for this to happen, and they ran to it. But for the other people, the other people that get here lapped into this hater conversation, like Dan Lanning um, and some of the coaches in the coaching community, they aren't haters. They're not. They just don't like what they've seen. They don't like what's going on right now. And it's okay not to like something. It really is. It's okay not to like something. Um, Ain't nothing wrong with not liking something, in my opinion. And I'll tell you this much, there's good reason, in my opinion, why some college football coaches might not like what's happening in Colorado. Take Dan Lanning, for example. Do you know Dan Lanning's story? I know a lot of the people that are watching tonight are, are, might be Georgia fans and still crossing over into this national concepts for us, but do you know Dan Lanning's story? Dan Lanning was a high school wide receivers coach in the state of Missouri in 2010. 12 football seasons ago, Dan Lanning was a high school wide receivers coach and offensive coordinator, okay? That year, he drove 10 hours overnight, okay, on a hope and a dream that maybe, maybe Todd Graham, the head coach then at the University of Pittsburgh, 
would just give him a free job. Just let me work for free. Let me be a GA for you, Todd. Let me just try. I met you that one time during a summer camp. I brought some kids up here. We had a great conversation. Will you give me a job, please? I drove here all overnight last night, slept in the parking lot, standing on your door. Will you give me a job? I'll work for free. He got the job in 2010. He then, over the next 12 years, made seven different moves with his wife and his family all across the country. His wife gets cancer, survives through it, has children, keeps moving, keeps moving, keeps, finally gets a job, okay, at Alabama, makes the most out of it, goes to Memphis, is the defensive coordinator, gets hired at Georgia, boom, overnight success, right? No, this is a dude who went through the ranks, climbed up all of them, and guess what? Dan Lanning is a microcosm of thousands of college football coaches in this world. Most football coaches have to do what Dan Lanning did. Most football coaches have to eat off the floor. Most football coaches have to go from JUCO to JUCO to D1 to D, uh, D1AA back down, position coach. Now I'm going to be a coordinator. Now ding, 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 ding. Now we climb up the ladder and we finally have success due with a ton of luck throughout the process. Okay? Dan Lanning overcame a shit ton of odds to be where he was. And when you do that, okay, when you overcome odds, not only do you earn the right to talk your shit, which Dan Lanning did on Saturday, but you also kind of earn the right to feel some type of way when other people may not necessarily skip lines, but don't have to go through the struggles that you did in your path to get to where they are, okay? And that's the reality of the situation right now. Deion Sanders skipped the line for being a great Hall of Fame football player, coached high school, had some success, great success at Jackson State, now is being known and quantified and talked about as if he owns this sport. Do you think the coaches that went through decades of, again, eating off the floor, and what is the equivalent of or, 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 or shoveling horse manure as a football coach, do you think all those guys love What's going on right now in Colorado and all the attention that it's getting and all the love and, and everybody on Fox Sports going out there talking nonsense like Keyshawn Johnson today. Talking about Ugh, all the football community ganged up on Dion this week. Hey, Keyshawn, why are you doing this? Why are you acting like this ain't a, a, a known thing in the football world that coaches talk to one another? That's nonsense. And every time I turn around, Ryan Clark's calling him out. Ryan Clark's calling Dan Landing out on ESPN. And everybody's doing the whole thing side with Dion because guess what? Dion draws clicks. We talk about him because y'all want to hear about it. 10 million people watched it on Saturday, despite the fact that there was a 38-point game midway through the third quarter. 10 million people watched it. He is a very big talking point. And guess what? There's a lot of people that don't like it. But just because they don't like it doesn't mean they're haters, okay? That's a difference, okay? It does not sit wrong, or it didn't sit well with Dan Lanning being called in to be interviewed by College Game Day only to be asked about Deion Sanders. That stuff doesn't sit well. So when he goes and talks to his football team, yeah, there's a camera crew in there. Because guess what? The Pac-12 this offseason agreed to have camera crews in there. Mandatory. You can't say, no, no, we don't want those guys in here. They have to be in there. So they get to do that. So what's he going to do? Alter his message because cameras are around? No. He's being true to who he was, okay? As for the football game itself, I think Oregon is as legit as their quarterback is turnover-free, all right? As long as Bo Nix plays safe, smart, conservative football, 
they're going to be really, really good because they're extremely explosive. Their run game is unique and dynamic. I love the Bucky Irving kid they have back there. Okay, a transfer from, uh, uh, I want to say Memphis or a smaller school, something along the lines, transferred into Oregon. Okay, a really, really shifty back, does a lot of great stuff behind the line of scrimmage and hits holes like he's supposed to. Okay, and the most important thing for that offense off of that. They have designed a really, really explosive, deep passing game attack off of play action as well. So that's a really balanced football team up there at Oregon. Welcome into tonight's show. We got a loaded one for you. Never in my life would I have thought I'd have to define what a hater is for you guys. But just because I don't like something don't mean I'm a hater. Okay? I got to be out here openly talking negatively about your public image, trying to drag you down to be a hater. I think the way Colorado has been covered by the national media has been haters of traditional college football. Y'all, y'all, y'all got Dion walking in here, okay, and everyone's glorifying him for doing stuff that everyone else does. I mean, a prime example is last week, Dion, Dion gets glorified for having speakers at practice. It's like, nah, dog, that ain't new. We've been doing this for years. So, welcome into tonight's show. We got a great one for you. I'm going to give you my thoughts on Ohio State and Notre Dame. We got a bunch of thoughts on that one. That was one of the better games we're going to see all year, I believe. Me and the boys will talk Clemson and Florida State. We have our thoughts on Ole Miss and Alabama as well. And Jimbo Fisher, that real 12th man out there. It was a loaded slate, boys. I mean, it was a great week for college football, and it lived up to the hype, did it not? Oh, it was fantastic. It was just a shame that the Ohio State-Notre Dame game was the same time as the Georgia game. But outside of that, fan-freaking-tastic. Couldn't ask for anything better. Yeah, it was loaded. College football never fails. Mm-mm. That's all I got to say. Never does. Hey, want to give a quick shout-out to the folks over at Prize Picks. Make sure you're running over to prizepicks.com today. Use the promo code Brooks. You get 100% deposit match over there. Also want to ask you guys to go ahead and hit that thumbs up button, like, subscribe, review, or do all that good stuff. If you missed any portion of tonight's show, I didn't say this during the uh, TTD hour, okay? We are available on podcasts. However, wherever you find your podcast, you will find us over there as well. So make sure you're showing some love. Going back to that Dan Lanning, Dion thing, I think another thing that's kind of getting overlooked in this is that Dan Lanning has a CFP, college football playoff hopeful team. Yeah. He has a Heisman hopeful quarterback, and they were 21 points coming into that game. And all the media wanted to talk about was Deion Sanders. Again. Go ahead. If you're Dan Lanning, you're taking that personally and going off. I don't understand how Deion was praised a week ago for buying sunglasses and making a big deal out of what Colorado State coach said, as foolish as that was. And now Dan Lanning is doing something very similar but it's because he's got it out for Deion Sanders or there's some ulterior motive that other people are saying. You want to know what one that. of the first things Dan said in his post-game press conference was? What? I've got to humble myself. He said, i I, I got to let my emotions get the best of me, and I might have, you know, spoke out of emotion, and I've got to humble myself because this is not the end goal for, for Oregon. The end goal is to continue to get better, and, and he did all the coach speak after that. But he made it a point to let everybody know that, like, yeah, I was – I was a little bit emotional. Why? Because he don't like it. He does not like it. Coaches do not like this. I promise you, lifelong coaches are not out here going, yeah, that's great for college football that Deion Sanders is out here being connoted as the greatest coach in college football. There were segments about that last week. People were out here talking about Deion Sanders being the greatest coach currently in college football on ESPN's first take. They were out here really, really making these takes. I don't even watch first take anymore. Yeah, I know the common, the, the common folk are taking over college football. Um, because of this, and, and, and it is what it is. Um, any more thoughts on, on Colorado? Nah, no, I, mean, I think y'all said it best. I mean, 
USC didn't look great against Arizona State this week, but they got another tough one this week. I mean, big noon kickoff will be back in Boulder this week. Uh, I think there's uh, another Fox program that's going out to Boulder, uh, Undisputed, I think will be out in Boulder this week. So there's going to be plenty of attention moving forward, and it's not just because, you know, it is because Dion, but it's it's not going to be – if they lose, it's not going to matter. It's, it's not going to stop until y'all stop watching, and I don't think people are going to stop watching. No, it's the, it's the whole thing about why when LeBron James is playing basketball, why social media departments are just glorifying LeBron James and they're talking about LeBron James, and people get pissed off about it, and but people talk about it. People talk about LeBron James because he has the pool, he gets the views. People want to watch LeBron win or you want to watch LeBron lose because you don't like him. It's both things – and that's what we're saying with Deion Sanders. You either love him and you want to tune in, or people want to watch him lose and they tune in. I thought they, uh, I thought they took their L pretty, pretty well. Yeah. I mean, Deion did the thing where you better get me now. I mean, he said what he's normally going to say. But in terms of, nah, we got our ass beat today. They were very open and honest about that. Mm-hmm. There was not many excuses made. Um, I didn't hear much about Travis Hunter. And I watched the post-game press conference. There wasn't nothing – I mean, he got asked about Travis, but it was like, Travis is going to be okay, but this wasn't about <laughs> Travis today. To be fair, if you're going to go out there and stomp on the midfield logo, you can't really be going out making no, excuses. Absolutely not. I, I thought uh, – maybe I got fooled by the internet here. I thought Shadur said something about them showing their watches, that it was okay, that, you know, go on stunt your, stunt your shit, basically. Like, you beat me, go ahead, enjoy your time. But I, I went to check it on Twitter didn't see it. I don't know where I saw that. I think I got lied to by the internet. Yeah, I don't know. I, di- I didn't go super. D- I watched the Dion Presser, but I didn't go super deep into all the post-game talks after that just because there's so much of it that is just drawn to grab, like you said, the common eye and just attract that where it's just mindless takes. Dude, so. I think Fox's, Fox Sports' YouTube page, their most viewed videos every week are Dion press conferences. I that Dion press conference from Saturday had 10 million views this morning when I watched it. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. Actually, 9.8, I think, on Fox Sports. Because people just want to know. They want to listen. They want to hear what he sounds like when he's eating crow or they want to hear what he sounds like mm-hmm. when he's beating the shit out of people. Mm-hmm. Yep. They want to hear him brag and they want to see him eat humble pie. Um, but, nah, I, I want to talk about this Ohio State-Notre Dame game because I think it was the best one of the week. Uh, it absolutely lived up. Obviously, there's a ton of places to start here. We can start with Ryan Day going after Lou Holtz and uh, attacking an 86-year-old man. We can talk about Notre Dame playing uh, the last two plays of the game with 10 men on the field. Uh, we can talk about what it means for both of these teams. Uh, but I think all of those things have pretty much been covered since the game. And we will certainly talk about those things. But I think that's where everyone else has started. And I think it's a little improper because I think there's credit due elsewhere. Um, Kyle McCord did something that was really, really hard to do on Saturday night. Kyle McCord did something that I was relatively impressed with. Not relatively impressed with. I was. I was extremely impressed with for a uh, first start on the road type of environment, um, game on the line. What that kid did with the last 37 seconds of the football game was nothing short of phenomenal. And I'm going to walk you through it right now. With 37 seconds left and the game on the line, no timeouts, they're driving. Okay, they, they need a touchdown. Field goal doesn't do anything for them. He damn near throws a pick. I mean, damn near throws the game away. All right, put it out on Twitter today. He sees Caden Stover running on a little vertical, doesn't notice that the two-high safety look has now turned into a one-high safety look, and they rolled the strong safety into the box playing what we call robber technique. They got a safety standing in the middle of the field. He is there to read the eyes of the quarterback and create an interception. Throws it right to the dude, goes right through his hands. Notre Dame literally watches the game go right through their fingertips 
And Kyle McCord at that point almost cost his football team the game in his first true road start, okay? What does he do the next four plays? Well, let me walk you through it, okay? The very next play, he probably throws the best ball of the day, throws an absolute dart to Marvin Harrison in between four Notre Dame defenders that played the zone coverage on a dig about as well as you can humanly possibly play. I mean, the, 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 the overhang defender carried number two vertical as, human, as best as he possibly could, didn't bite the underneath bubble at all, kept floating right into the back of the window. Kyle McCord throws the best ball he possibly can and completes it to Marvin Harrison Jr. right after making one of the biggest mistakes of the football game that almost cost him, okay? He then throws a back shoulder ball to Harrison on the goal line. They don't quite get it completed, all right? He stands up on the next play, okay, with two Notre Dame defenders draped all over him, about to get a sack when no timeouts. Would have been the football game, by the way. If he gets tackled, they got to rush to the line of scrimmage, basically clock the ball or rush to take a snap. Somehow, someway, throws the ball out of bounds, saves the sack, doesn't take it. They live to fight another down, okay? The next play, he throws an absolute beam to Abuka down the seam, Okay, and gets him down on the one. Okay, so after a play in which he almost cost his football team the game, he then makes probably three of his best plays in a row on, on, on the drive and of the game to win. Okay, in your first road start, to have the ability to wipe the slate clean, to make a terrible mistake and not be gun shy, that to me, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know how to quantify it. I don't know how to explain it to you, to not get nervous, to not get uh, a little bit second-guess yourself or not look tentative. He looked calm. He looked poised. He looked confident. All right? Those are things in a quarterback, um, to me, that were, were noticeable. Okay? And as the game expired, I, I, I thought that was obvious to me that, hey, six just won them the game, okay, and the other stuff matters, but that was the important thing to me. I thought Kyle McCord needed a little bit of a hat tip um, for me uh, in, in that. I wanted to give him his flowers real quick. Now, which coach should we talk about next? We'll go to the flip side. Let's talk about Notre Dame a little bit. The notes have me talking about Ryan Day, but we'll talk about uh, Notre Dame. Now I want to talk about I want to talk about Ryan Day. I don't even know why I put it up. Huh. I don't even know why I put it up. I, I want to ISO. Smack my shit against the glass. Yeah, my bad. LeBron block, clear the lane. We're gonna ISO some more. Um, let's talk about Ryan Day real quick. This is an extremely emotional dude. Okay, um, the more and more I watch him. The more and more I realize that, my first true introduction to Ryan Day, not just on television, my first true introduction, I get to watch this dude, understand who he is as a person, stand next to him, stand around him, was the Peach Bowl last year, right? Ohio State playing Georgia, 45-42, big, massive football game. Everyone knows about it. I watched Ryan Day in that football game, and I thought he was one of the more emotional, living and dying on every single play type of football coach that I've seen in recent time. They score, he's jumping up and down, high-fiving, belly bumping, slamming the clipboard. They get stopped on fourth down. He's red-faced, showing anger, shows emotion on the sideline more than any football coach I've kind of seen in a long time, all right? And I think in the moment as the game expired, as the time expired and that football game was won, I saw an extremely emotional and exuberant football coach. So who am I to sit here and criticize what a guy in Ryan Day said to his base after that football game, after that win. I'm not going to sit here and criticize the way in which he said what he said. 
All right. The attitude, the tone, the anger, the, the emotion, not going to sit here and criticize what he said. Now, was a little weird to be out here straight and weird and off-putting to be attacking an 86-year-old dude? A little bit. Thought that was a little bit weird and off-putting. Not my style, to be honest with you. Um, but here's the thing. This whole beef, right, this whole attacking Lou Holtz, what was it about? It was about this narrative that his football team is soft. It was about this narrative that his football team can't win the line of scrimmage, that his football team can't do the things in those short yardage plays to either get off the field or convert the sticks and play tough, physical, branded football. They can't win the lines of scrimmage. That's basically what the narrative has been about Ohio State and Ryan Day coached football teams. And Ryan Day can dunk on Lou Holtz all he wants after this football game. Ryan Day can say they've only had one bad half in the last two years. Ryan Day can have the tone that he had. Ryan Day can do all that stuff. And it doesn't take away from the fact that, guys, they didn't do the things required at the line of scrimmage to win this football game. They didn't. Kyle McCord won this football game. I just explained it to you. Kyle McCord played phenomenally down the stretch. You know who didn't? The lines of scrimmage for, no, for Ohio State. Notre Dame converted 7 of 11 short yardage plays on offense in this football game. 7 of 11. That's like 75%, okay? 68% to be exact. 68% of short yardage plays Notre Dame converted offensively. So on the defensive lines of, uh, of scrimmage for Ohio State, you kind of got handled the same way you've been getting handled, all right? Ohio State offensively converted just four of those 12 such opportunities on the offensive side of the football. So these quote-unquote toughness plays, that's what we'll call them. These toughness plays, these toughness plays, y'all got beat on, Ohio State, except for the most important one of the game, right? The most important short yardage play of the game, y'all had success, and y'all put it in the end zone, all right? But you did so against 10 men on the field from a Notre Dame. All right, so we, I like the tone. I like the message. I get it. I understand it. Not going to criticize it. But you're wrong. You're wrong. Your football team didn't do the things that you think required to win those situations. You won that football game doing the things that you always do to win football games from Ohio State. And you got lucky that the other team only had 10 guys on the field because you ran right over the spot that they left a two-gap void over because they only had 10 guys on the field. So, guys, I don't, I don't know what your response was to the Ryan Day stuff. I don't even need to attack the tone. thought the tone was shit, but the message was incorrect. And I texted you were the one that ran down these stats because I felt it watching the football game. They were getting handled at the line of scrimmage. They got bailed out by great throws and great receivers down the, down the stretch. You know, there's this thing called the peak end rule effect. And basically what that means is, it, yeah, it's psychology. Throw some psychology on you. Basically what it means is people are going to remember what happened at the end of something. Like when the peak hits the end, that's what they're going to remember. So what are people going to remember? They're going to remember Ohio State driving down the field, converting a, a third and goal situation, winning the football game. They're going to remember Notre Dame not holding up on the defensive line, only having 10 players on the last two plays of the game. So Ryan Day might have had some peak-end rule effect here, remembering that his offensive line just helped them score the game-winning touchdown, rushing the ball in for the game-winning touchdown, while Notre Dame didn't hold up their end of the challenge, and they allowed the touchdown in. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it was. I, it wasn't that it bothered me what he said. It's just you're so taken aback by it. You're like, where did that come from? And I think where it came from is the fact that for the last, I guess, three seasons now since they got manhandled in the natty, the, the common belief around Ryan Day is that 
he's not really a good coach. You know, the whole third, he's born on third base thing. Mm. And you can tell it's eating at him. So when you come out and you win a game like this in an emotional way, I think like much like Dan Lanning said, he just lets emotions get the best of him. And he starts spewing a bunch of shit. Like that's, that's essentially what I took it as. Cause when you look at someone who's that emotionally attached to the end of a game, they don't always say like the correct things, what they mean. So that's, that's what I took it as. It was weird, but it are didn't you, bother me per se. Are you okay with your coach being sensitive? Cause I think it's pretty obvious to me that he is sensitive towards these things. And now if you're an Ohio state fan, you would say, well, hell yeah, he should be sensitive. People were attacking his players. People were attacking his program. He should stand up for his program. Yeah, yeah. I think this is this is uh, almost this is very similar to Nick Saban just being very angry and very mean towards the media mm-hmm. when he's asked questions like this. You know, I'm not going to, so quit asking. Yeah, that's the same thing as him saying, "Where's that old fuck Lou Holtz at?" <laughs> it, that's the one problem, though. Is like. Of all the people you could have called out, you called out Lou Holtz. <laughs> Who's going to be partial to Notre Dame anyways. Absolutely. Let's not act like he was giving some unbiased opinion on this football Who also, game. by the way, speaks for the nation. Like, we all thought that of your football team. Mm-hmm. And to an extent, I mean, I know you won the football game, but I kind of just explained to you, I kind of still think that about your football team. I kind of still think that you can get pushed around. I kind of still think that you got to get an eye formation and, and, and when you run the ball, you don't do so successfully on short yardage situations. Guess what? They had a goal line stand, the previous possession. And when they had 11 guys on the field, you couldn't score. All right? So there are some talk your shit, King. Like, there is some of that. Go ahead. Talk your shit. But let's be honest. You're talking about the wrong thing. Like, you should have been out there connoting, we got great quarterback play. Not we're super tough on the lines of scrimmage. I also think doing this – is never a really good strategy because it shows that people can say things and get under your skin. For the rest of the season now, mm-hmm. Ryan Day is going to be a target for this quote-unquote toughness about it. People are going to troll him like they were last year So because you've shown that you have a visceral reaction to that, that it gets under your skin. So now you've pretty much opened the door to get insulted and trolled, whereas had he just said, you know, we played a great game, yada, 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 given coach speak, no one's going to really come out about this now. No one's coming after Ryan Day on Sunday morning calling him weird and cringy because he's calling out an 86-year-old man. 100% correct. Um, let's talk about this on the Notre Dame side of the football things. Holy smokes. Holy smokes, man. You got 10 guys in the box in college football? Yeah. 10? Ten, ten? You got 10 guys in the box. Five offense, five defense, I believe. Okay. You got 40, 35 football coaches on the sideline. Mm-hmm. I mean, shit tons of people at Notre Dame watched them for two plays, two full-ass snaps after a timeout, play snaps with 10 men on the field. I, I, I know everyone, and, and if you, we're like the, last per, like, like the last show people watch because everybody's got Sunday shows. We take Sunday off. So I know people have hammered home this point over and over again. What a disservice to your football team. What an absolute kick in the nuts to the guys who played 58 minutes, well, 59 minutes of great championship caliber football, and we put 10 guys on the field. That's just rough, man. Yeah, it's not great. And and what was crazy to me is that Freeman 
allegedly this was nuts after the game. You said allegedly claims this. that he knew that they only had ten players on the field for the final play. He didn't that say anything insane. about the first play where they only had ten guys on the field, but the last play of the game, he claims to have known that there were only ten guys on the field. And when he realized it, he just told them, "Ah, oh, keep them on the sidelines. We'll just live with it." This has to be a hack bit, but have we ever talked about how he looks like Jake from State Farm? Who are you talking about? Marcus Freeman. Oh, the new Jake from State Farm. Yeah. Hmm. Nah, he's too handsome. No, nah, I mean, they he's look too handsome soon. and way too tall. That's I such can a, see it a little bit. That's like a way off topic thought, but I just thought about that. I was thinking of Jake from State Farm jokes, but no, it, it is unacceptable to have 10 guys for two straight plays. And if you admittedly know about it, even if you don't have timeout, I, that one I don't get. What well, we were saying is take the penalty. Yeah, take the penalty, dude. Take the freaking penalty. Run, run the guy out onto the field. Fuck, run the whole sideline off the field. Like, if you see you got 10 guys out on the field, what's the penalty for calling a timeout when you don't have timeouts? Is there one? I don't know. Do something. Do something. Half the distance to the goal when the ball's on the one is nothing. You're playing for a TFL anyways. It was nuts. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. Yeah. That's bad. Uh, that's bad. Bad. Um, and honestly, I think I, I don't that, – that type of critical loss – in years past, you've seen teams kind of spiral after that. We'll see. We'll see how Notre Dame responds. That that's that's brutal. That's Devils a brutal, brutal L, huh? The Blue Devils are lurking. And Blue Devils working. Dukey's next week, isn't it? Yeah, Oof. that's where game day's going. Damn, that's brutal. Notre Dame two weeks in a row on game yep. day. Is that a home game for them, or is it in in Chapel Hill? It's right. at Chapel Hill. That's I think it's Chapel the first Hill. time. That... Hold on, hold on. That's not Chapel Hill. Yeah, sorry. No. What is Duke? I don't know what it is. To, um, where's Duke at? It's in North Carolina, but well, um, yeah. Oh well. Anyways, college game day. Going I think to see it's the like I don't know if it's the first time they've ever been to Duke the for chat college here, football game, but it's been a hot minute at least since the last. I time know there. Cameron Indoors where it's at. Durham. They're in Durham. Uh, Durham, North Carolina. Shouts go. out to the Dukies. Um, Dukie bomb. Any more thoughts on this Notre Dame-Ohio State game? thought it was really well played until the end, and then it got super sloppy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate. I hate when good football games – golly, I'm blind. Now they're chiming in. They were just a little late. Yeah, I think that's YouTube. Um, God, I really am blind. Uh, sorry, my glasses were getting a little dirty. I couldn't see shiznit. Let's talk about this Clemson-Florida State game if we don't have any more thoughts. Mm. Yeah, let's get into this one. Yeah, let's talk about some more. Well, give me you guys' thoughts. I'm going to attack the Dabo stuff late in the football game, but what, what do we have? So, would you believe me if I told you that Clemson had more first downs, was more efficient on third down, outgained FSU by 100, rush, 100 yards, held FSU to 22 rushing yards, had less penalties, dominated time of possession, and never trailed in the four quarters they played? Would you believe me if I told you they lost that game? The first question I would ask is how many turnovers did they have? They had one turnover that led to a touchdown. So, I mean, in theory, the turnover, the scoop and score was the difference in this game. But other than that, that was it. They didn't. It wasn't like Cade Klubnick threw three picks. It wasn't like they had four fumbles. They had one fumble. So, my next question would be, just knowing that, was how piss poor were they in the red zone? Um, which I think they settled for three field goals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and... Yeah, that's about how explosive was the other football team. That would be my two questions. Um, how would you do in the red zone? How explosive was the other football team? And I think that was the main difference. Absolutely. Clemson had all the yardage. Florida State had all the explosives yeah. in this football game. 
Clemson was doing everything they needed to to win that football game because they're finding ways to work their way down the field because, you know, they do have the inferior weapons in this football game. We said that coming into this. We thought that Florida State's defense had an advantage against Clemson's offensive line. I thought Garrett Riley did a good job of allowing Clement to get the ball out quickly, get it to Will Shipley, get it to your playmakers, kind of let them work. It was just at the tail end of that football game. You couldn't – one, you, it looked like you were about to put the game away until they make a great play, fumble, take it to the house. And then right at the end of it as well, you had an opportunity to put the game away in the red zone. You couldn't deliver. So it's just you did everything up until the last moments of the game. When you see box scores like that and when you see team stats like that and they're so drastically different, do we just immediately blame coaching? I mean, part of it you're, has you're, to- You outplayed them. Yeah. I think you have. I think there's two things that go into it: coaching and fluke plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, scoop and score off a sack is, I would say, a fluke play. But I mean, so is fumbling twice in the red zone. It's when, a fluke play, but it was the same fluke play. Sorry, Falcons fans, that caused the fumble in 2083. The mm-hmm. back checked out shouldn't have. Yeah, the back checked out in protection should have had the free blitzer. Mm-hmm. Fumble recovery for a touchdown. So. Coaching or players? It's got. I mean, it's got to be a mix of. Obviously, the coaches are going to say it's on us. The players are going <laughs> to say it's on them. My question is: This is the second game that Clemson has lost like this because they they manhandled Duke in the box score as well. Yeah. You take away three fumbles and they probably win that game. But on paper, they got their asses handed to them. So now it, it almost is like a common theme. Is it that your players? Dabo's got a bunch of players that shit the bed when the time comes when it's crunch time or make bonehead decisions or is he just not good at coaching like these games anymore i think this is a football team that's learning how to finish football games Mm. like clemson and that i was we were talking about this before the show is when you are in that third and long situation now the play before that you you tried to run the double pass at least and you were trying to make an somewhat of an explosive get the ball in the end zone but then after that you settle for the run you run a qb draw with kate klubnick and then you put the game in the hands of the quarterback or the kicker you called off the couch this week when you said this is either going to go really bad or it's going to go it's going to go really well. And plus, I mean, it's one of those things where like you could almost feel it. It was going to happen. Like when the guy's two for two at that point, yeah. and then it's all and on him. Sean McDonough's teeing him up for the biggest letdown. <laughs> yes. Letdown. Like everybody saw that missed kick coming from a mile away. I just didn't love that. I feel like you should have kept the you should have kept the game in your quarterback's hands. Trusted him. He's gotten you to this point in the football game. Let's not turn it over to the kicker who just got here. Yeah, I saw a lot of that. He's playing for the field goal opinion uh, on Twitter, and I think I think that's the wrong criticism. The correct criticism is like you're talking about. You can't have both. All right, you either try to run the ball three times and exhaust all both timeouts and time. Okay, and then settle for the field goal as ex- as time expires, or you try to score and win the football game three times. That's it. Those are the only two options. You can't have both. You can't run it on first down, try to win the game on second down, and then play for the run or play for the field goal on third down. Because all you did was create an opportunity for you to miss. Okay, that was going to happen anyways. It was an option anyways. And Provide opportunity for them to get the ball back. And they got the ball back and could have done something with it and, and won the game in regulation. I thought, you can't, again, you can't do both. You can't, I'm going to play safe, run the ball. Ooh, I'm going to try to win. Okay, ooh, I'm going to play safe and run the ball again. We can't have both. We either exhaust the time or we do one or the other. Or, or excuse me, or we try to win the football game and throw the ball into the end zone three times. Which, in the first half, 
I thought Clemson's receivers did a good enough job creating space in the second yeah. half. Not so much. I thought th the windows got a little bit tighter. You can see Club next time and get thrown off just a little bit in that football game. Um, I also think it's worth noting. I think Florida State won this football game because of the transfers that they have mm -hmm. on this roster. And we can sit here and criticize. The, the criticism of Dabo and the portal stuff is not just because he's not doing it. The problem is everyone he's got to compete against is. Okay, so it would, it, it's not only I'm not doing something, it's that everybody else is doing something. Okay, if I not only ate like shit and also didn't go to the gym, my problems are going to compound much worse than they would do. They would if I just did one or the other. You know what I'm saying? And that, that's kind of what's going on right now. And I, I think there are warranted criticisms. And we said this going into this far, at least I did. Win, lose, or draw, it didn't matter to me. Win, lose, or draw, we were throwing dirt on graves because dude is not using the things that are available to him and other people are. And they're drastically improving their rosters really, really quickly. Yeah, I said on Twitter, I said it's pretty fitting that Keon Coleman's the one that wins this game for Florida State because that's the guy that they got out of the portal and he's been their best playmaker this year as a receiver. And then Jared Verse, I think, had like nine QB pressures on Saturday, so he was a big difference as well in that defensive line. Jordan Travis transfer, okay? Uh, our man you just mentioned, transferred. Both receivers, transfers. Jaheim Bell, transfer. Like, it's all up and down the roster. The roster that is – properly rated right now in the top four you guys are taking l's too y'all 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 uh banter a little bit if you don't mind because i totally forgot to do my top 12 so y'all 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 talk about the rest of this clemson florida state game while i do these rankings what do you think this means for Dabo going forward because it's, it's almost clear at this point that he's not going to budge on this transfer portal thing kate klubnik still has another year correct in college correct all right so i think at Maybe this two, point considering the nfl profile okay so we'll but just one more year is what I'm kind of getting at. Is Correct. I think at this point, you're kind of fighting for what you did last year. You're still trying to make the New York Six Bowl. Still, of course, trying to make it to the ACC Championship game. If you can do all of that, if you can show proof of concept that Katie Klubnik has improved, if this offense under Garrett Riley is continuing to show promise, if you're evolving your concepts as an OC and Dabo Sweeney's continue to show growth, and then but none of that matters, like we said, if he doesn't show any willingness to do any sort of thing in regards to the transfer portal. Yeah, that's kind of my point. Is it's we're almost at the point now where the game is starting to pass him by. It hasn't yeah. done it yet, but look at what Clemson mm. was five years ago. Mm -hmm. They were. Is is Clemson better than Alabama? Are they yeah. the new dynasty in college football? Now they're two they're two losses before October. Yeah. It's so it's like, are you going to be satisfied with okay, Dabo? We need proof of concept that our offense is getting better and our quarterback is getting a little better. Whereas you've got FSU that has completely blown you by from a roster standpoint because they're going in the transfer portal. The death of Dabo Sweeney is going to be if he doesn't if he refuses to utilize the portal. I would be super frustrated as a Clemson fan knowing that we did compete in that game and that one transfer portal player at wide receiver and maybe another on the defensive side of the football could be a massive difference in our season. And especially like when you are in a situation like you are with Clemson at wide receiver and you've seen the trends that have come out of the transfer portal at that position, there's a Jamison Williams out there. There's an ad, there's a Jordan Addison coming into the transfer portal every single year. There's a Keon Coleman. There's a Jaheim Bell. Every single year, the transfer portal is littered with wide receivers. And if you know that that is a problem with your offense and you are trying to help out Cade Klubnik, who's coming into this first year as a starter for the full season, why not go into the transfer portal and get him some weapons? And maybe your season looks completely different now at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're at the point now where, like I said earlier, the game is passing him by, and I think he's too stubborn to change. 
You can get the new OC. You can retool your schemes as much as you want. But if you're not going to get the guys that you need on the field, it's not going to matter. Barnes and Noble. That's Clemson. Barnes and Noble. They're not changing. Amazon's whipping that ass. Yeah. Sure are. That's a deep cut. Um, all right. Let's give our top 12. Uh, I got a good one here. We're going to go 12 to 1. All right. And I think number two is me buying into everyone else's hype, but I believe it because I've been I've been buying the Phoenix type mm. or hype for all year long. Whoa. Um, I did it. Alabama, number 12. Here's the deal. I can't believe it, but if I told you today Alabama should be the favorite to win the SEC West, I think you might agree with me with the performances that LSU put up this past weekend mm-hmm. against Arkansas, right? I mean, Arkansas is a good football team. K.J. Jefferson, really, really good. Can't be a top four, top five football team and win that game by one, or one score. I don't believe so, okay? Not after they just took an L to uh, BYU at home. That, that's, that's a little bit of uh, skepticism for me. And I do believe Alabama has the, or the recipe, rather, to win the, uh, the SEC West. I can't, I can't believe we're sitting here saying that already. They are a flawed football team, but they're going to be a boring 24-10 to 10 winner <clears throat> of the SEC West. Remember all those years Georgia was like, Jake Fromm, 11 and one, winning the SEC East, scoring 30 mm-hmm. points a game, mm-hmm. keeping teams under 18. Yeah. I think that's what Alabama's winning football games with right now. Notre Dame at number 11. I was really impressed. I mean, it's hard to consider yourself a loser in that football game, but you did enough to lose that football game. Let's be honest. All right, um, but they look big, they look fast, they look balanced, and they have a quarterback. Okay, so I think Notre Dame proved to me that they are more legit this year than in years past. When normally we feel like they're frauds, to be honest with can you. I, can I interrupt you before yeah, that? Yeah, come on. Does one loss Notre Dame at 11 not have an avenue to the playoff now because there is no conference championship for them? Schedule's tough enough. If they win out, they'll have enough big wins where they'll jump over some of these football teams. Okay, as long as everyone else doesn't win out. You know what I mean? If they're, yeah. they're three uh, 13-0 football teams, no. Notre Dame's not getting in. Right. But if we get to the end of the year – and it's we have one undefeated conference champion and then four one-loss football teams, and Notre Dame's one of those, you bet your ass Notre Dame's getting into the playoff, okay, if they went out with the rest of their schedule. They have the toughest, I think one of the toughest remaining schedules in college football. They play Duke, they still got USC, they still have to play Clemson on the schedule, okay? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of keynote wins for Notre Dame. I got Utah at number 10. Just holding strong. That boy Kyle Winningham, and out there they play defense. They run the football. They're a balanced football team. They play tough, and eventually they will get Cam Rising back. Penn State, you dropped to no avail to, to your fault, all right? I think you played about like we expected you to play against Iowa this past weekend, but you fell because you just don't have the signature wins yet. Guess what, Penn State fans? It don't matter. You got Ohio State Michigan on the roster or on the schedule. You handle your business. You're going to make a college football playoff this year. USC, you dropped in my poll this week. You dropped down to eight because you should not struggle with Arizona State. I don't care what it is. All right, tackling, tackling, tackling. Awful. Absolutely awful in that football game. USC's defense really struggling uh, to start the football season as we kind of expected. And guess what? They've played the worst schedule in all of Power 5 football. All right. They've got Stanford, who's one of the worst power five football teams on the roster, on the schedule. I don't know why I keep calling it a roster. They got Arizona State on the schedule. They beat San Jose State, and they beat Nevada, who, by the way, Nevada last year, 118th in the country in points per game scored. They are horrendous. All right, so the first four games of the year for USC have been doggy doo-doo. All right, so that's to be expected. Five games, they played Hawaii to start the football season, mm-hmm. didn't they? 
Five games. Awful. Awful, awful, no, awful. No, no. They played they San Jose State. Yeah. San Jose State. They took bad. a bye week. Vanderbilt played Hawaii. Vanderbilt week played Hawaii week zero. Anyways, USC, the defense is suspect. Um, and I think this week against uh, Colorado, I think that over-under set at 71.5 points. Yeah. That's a lot. That, That's a lot of points. We'll get into this later, but I think as much as we said Colorado was going to get their ass beat by Oregon, Colorado is the perfect team to get into a shootout with UFC. USC. 100%. So... I have uh, Oregon at number seven. They climbed up a little bit here on my rankings. I already talked about it. I think Oregon's a pretty balanced football team. Bo Nix scares the shit out of me, though, and he always will. I, I sat down and studied him the other day before the Colorado game, and, dude, I could feel my blood pressure. I could just feel it rising. I could feel my sphincter just shrinking, going, ah, please don't do that, all the time with Buddy. And then next thing you know, he's dropping one in the bucket, 75 yards downfield, tutty. That's going to get clipped. All right, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, super complex or super perplexed with regards to my Bo Nix evaluation. And ain't shit changed. Ain't shit changed but the jersey on his chest, and, and that's about it. Uh, and the logo every on week. his helmet. huh? The jersey every week changes. Well, that's true. But in, in terms of Bo Nix Auburn, Bo Nix Oregon, not very much difference. And I know the national media will tell you, it's just a packed all defense. That's what that is. The difference is – and his high performances, and then you watch him against teams like Utah, you watch him against teams that can actually control the run, same old Bo Nix, turnover prone, worried about it, super worried about it. Number six, I got Michigan. Again, one of these football teams that was high up in my rankings that has kind of found themselves falling just because they ain't done shit. They ain't played nobody. They ain't, nah, it's just whatever, all right, through four games. Again, all of their work to be done in front of them and these guys in front of them, Florida State, Texas, Ohio State, Washington, they all have keynote wins. And spoiler alert, that's how it works out. Florida State, you're at five. You've got two of the more keynote wins in college football, except for I don't think Clemson's that good. I don't, all right? I think they've got major, major holes. I think had that game been at or in Tallahassee, I think Florida State handles business in a much different fashion in that football game. I got Texas at number four. Uh, same, same deal with Texas here. We're, we're worried for consistency. We're looking for consistency. I think they showed some of that against Baylor this week. They handled that football game, and they controlled that football game pretty much from jump. Ohio State at number three. I contemplated putting them over Washington at number two, but I still think there are some issues. Guys, they gave up free hitters on two of the last four plays in that football game against Notre Dame. The offensive line is still somewhat suspect, despite the fact that they had a relatively decent performance on Saturday. Washington has been the most dominant football team in college football this year. They have handled business. They have gone into Power 5 opponents and just absolutely skull drugged them week in and week out. All right, beat Michigan State last week by an absolute drumming. This week they beat uh, Cal by, I think, 30, 35 points, 40 points, something like that, 52 to 28. I believe it was the funnest score of that football game. Or, yeah, 59-32. Yeah, just beating the shit out of everybody, scoring a ton of points. And Penix looks like the best quarterback in the country right now on a down-in, down-out basis. And then I have Georgia still. Number one, I think Georgia's got some holes, um, but they're the most complete football team uh, week in and week out from a roster standpoint, potential standpoint, uh, schedule formatting, what you're going to look like in December. I still think Georgia's the number one team in the country. I ain't here for the Washington hype right now. Why? You're letting history do it to you? Not history. I think that they are very much so a college football playoff contender because of their quarterback, because of the weapons that they have around him. In the Pac-12 especially, if you have an offense like Washington has, you're going to be competing for a Pac-12 championship, and you're going to be a successful football program. 
but I just don't think that they are a top four football team, especially considering that I really we really haven't seen them play anybody yet. You got Michigan State right after they had the Mel Tucker incidents, and then we've seen what California was. We saw what they were against Auburn, and then Boise State, Tulane on top of that. I think they are a good football team. I like Michael Penix a lot as a prospect. I like Roma Dunze. I like their offense. I just don't know if I like them completely, and I'm interested to see what they look like the rest of the way. So I'm not sure I'm going to be putting them top three yet. They remind me of the way Ohio State was compromised last year or comprised last year. They're the best offense in sport, and they're going to have to manage to not give up 35 points. The way, <clears throat> the way I would best describe what Washington is right now is Oregon from 2009 to 2014. Whereas they would just beat the shit out of Pac-12 teams. Like, like here's the first four point opponents they played. Boise State, Tulsa, Michigan State, Cal. Huh. That's that's not impressive. Not great, Bob. Like, yes, Michael Penix is playing out of his mind right now. They're not playing anyone yet. It's, it's, it goes back to Oregon 13 years ago. I was like, oh, my God, they're so good. They're putting up 70 every week. Yeah, because they're not playing one. They're playing bad Pac-12 teams. So, I mean, get through the season. Get through Oregon. Get through USC. Get through Utah. Get through like like that back five of games right now is yeah. Stanford, USC, Utah, Oregon State, Washington State. Get through that five game slate, and then I'll believe in you. But, but that's why I'm also okay with having these takes about Pac-12 teams right now because we are going to know yeah. what they look like yeah. before the season's over. We know exactly what USC, Washington, Utah, Oregon, gonna, every single team. We're gonna find out about Utah the next three weeks. We mm-hmm. sure are. Utah had uh, they had Wazoo this weekend, right? Um, no, they played Oregon State this weekend, didn't they? No, they play Oregon State this week. Yeah. I think the the catchphrase about the Pac-12, I mean, for the rest of this year, I was going to say for the rest of the Pac-12 existence, but should just be wait till week 12. <laughs> wait till we when, – when the regular – Save the takes. When the regular <laughs> season is done, let's, let's wait. Because let's remember, two weeks ago, Colorado was – are they a top 10 team? Yeah. And now look at them. We so, have them ranked 12. Yeah, so it's like you got to wait until week 12 with Pac-12 teams because a lot of them come out the gate looking really good. Then you get to about week 8 or 9, they shoot themselves in the foot, and you look up, and it's like, wait a minute, there isn't a Pac-12 team with more less than one loss? The Pac-12, you just got to wait. Wait till week, yeah, <laughs> wait till week 12. That's Pac-12. Pac-12, wait till week 12. Sometimes Washington or Oregon will sneak in, but other than that, I'm waiting. Boys, is Lane Kiffin the biggest tease in college football? Yeah. Hmm. I didn't bite the bait. We did. I didn't. You did, right? Did. Yeah, you did. I didn't buy it. We well, didn't. Well, I don't know if I'd say I bought the Lane Kiffin bait. You bought the Bama suspect bait. Yes. Yeah, and we on this channel, or at least I, signed off the show last week saying, it's Bama until it ain't Bama. I, I'm just going to believe that you're going to show up and answer these things until you don't. And here was my problem. I watched the first half of this football game from the press box at UGA, and then pregame happens, and I got to go down to the field. I get back to the box. It's 24 to 10, and I'm like, what the hell happened? Because when I went down to the field, halftime, I believe it, it was a tie ball game or a one-score mm-hmm. football close. game. Yeah. It was a very close football game, and then all of a sudden, Alabama handled it. And very again, Alabama's going to win a bunch of 2019 Georgia versus Texas A&M football games. Yeah. Like, they're going to win a bunch of 28-17 ball games. They're just going to get ugly. They're going to hope they don't turn it over. They're just going to be methodical in their approach. And it's going to be boring. Boring, boring, boring football. Mm-hmm. But they might win the West. They should yeah, win the I West, mean, I think. Now all of a sudden we should win the West. I think, or, them, and, I I think mean, them and LSU both have problems of their own. LSU having problems obviously stopping the football right now. 
defensively. A little suspect on that side of the football, a little up and down on that side of the football, having some inconsistencies running the football as well offensively, kind of had, had to rely on Jaden Daniels through the first four games of the year. But we can say the same thing about Alabama. They've got holes too. Yeah, let yeah. me let me take a step back. They should. I, I shouldn't say they should. Win they have the a pathway to it. Now. Absolutely, because I mean the West is wide open at this point. I think it is kind of at this point narrowed down to we know it's going to be LSU or Alabama, and so that game will be decided between one another of who gets that nod. Alabama's always had the pathway, even when they lost to Texas. That's yeah. that's kind of what I've said. But I tweeted this out earlier in the week. They're just going to sleepwalk through every game they have. This is an Alabama team that has no juice. They're not the killers that you saw in 2015 where, oh, if they lose, they're coming back and getting it back in blood. They're you sure, just... dude? Tyler Booker's been pissed off since July. Yeah, okay, cool. Nick Saban been cracking jokes, bro. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like no one – there's there's not a killer instinct that you – go back and watch like highlights of those like 2015, 2014, 2016 Savages. defenses. Like, Ruben, where's Ruben Foster on this year's team? Mm. You know, I remember – um. Actually, talking to Luke Crabtree about this when we were out in Texas, Alabama fan, and he was he was of the belief that Alabama is not going to ever return to themselves because they don't have these dogs on the defensive side of the football like a Reuben Foster. And he said, it, and he was saying that that's going to continue to be the Achilles' heel of Alabama until they start getting those dudes back on the defensive side of the football. And I think there is some legitimacy to that. Hmm. They just don't have this team doesn't have a killer instinct. Yeah, they can sleepwalk through the West. That's fine. Even if they do win the West, you have to then go beat Georgia in the playoff or the SEC championship, then make the playoff and win those games. I don't think they have the capability of doing that. When was the last time this football team had a defensive coordinator that was coveted by other programs? Um, Jeremy Pruitt? Yeah, it's probably Pruitt. Cause it's he was been a, that wow. long. Think he about that. He replaced Smart, didn't he? Yeah. Yes. It's been that long. They had uh, old Mans that said Ole Miss now is a defensive coordinator for Pete three. Uh, Pete Golden for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and now – Obviously, they have uh, Kevin Steele, but Georgia's or Alabama's defensive coordinator has not been hired out in five years. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's crazy. That doesn't happen. Normally, they play great defense. The guy gets a head coaching job like that, and it's, then pays players out of McDonald's drafters. It's so weird too because it's not like they've been. Li- it's not like they took a dip in talent by any means because they've still been pumping out dudes at the NFL level. We know one of them from last year. Dude, I mean, they've had the number one talent composite in college football the last three years. Uh, I just don't get it. Coaching. Coaching and lack of discipline. I think he's talked about that as well. They've had, what, six touchdowns called back for, mm-hmm. for penalties this year. Mm. That's brutal. Um, hey, anything else tonight, boys? You we got Jim, the 12th, 12th man real quick. Or? I don't really care about making fun of Jimbo Fisher. I think he does it to himself, doesn't he? Yeah. Valid. You got to make a play, bro. I mean, come on. We talk to these guys all year. We tell our players, hey, when that, when that time comes and it's your time to make a play, by God, do your job. Jimbo, plays right in front of your face, dude. Stick a helmet in front of somebody for the love of God. We give him a lot of shit for yeah. for right reason. I think if he had gone out and tackled who, who was recovering the fumble, he would instantly become one of my top three favorite coaches. Ever. I'd be a hero. I would love. I would. He would. I would come in here more. rocking Jimbo nose shirts for sure. I would. He should have, dude. He missed an opportunity. Straight up fumbled the bag. Actually, that ain't a man that's ever fumbled a bag in his life. That no. boy racking it up. <laughs> <laughs> he sure is. Hey, shouts out to Jimbo Fisher's agent. I can use some representation. Won't give you 3%, but we'll give you something. Hey, appreciate you guys. Make sure you hit that thumbs up button on your way out. Love you. We'll see you tomorrow.